You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. How many of you are still recovering from last week's Sunday's football game? How many Falcons fans are okay this morning? How many, do we even have a Falcons fan in here? We got one. It was two. It was a three, four. Okay. I wouldn't admit it anymore if I were you. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So joking. That was a heck of a game. And right when I thought that I had recovered from that game, um, Thursday night came. (sighs) How many Carolina fans do we have in here? How many Duke fans do we have in here? Unbelievable, and you worshiped together this morning. <laughs> that is amazing. Amazing. How many are fans of another team and you could care less about Duke and Carolina? Okay, okay. So, I'm a Carolina fan. It hurts. It hurts. Painful. Oh, but it's amazing. As different as we might have, uh, differences that we have, might have in our football teams and our basketball teams, our college teams, we, we, we get to worship together. And all of our differences, we get to worship together. In fact, let's see how great we are at being unified. I'd love to see a Carolina fan give a Duke fan a high five. Go ahead and do that right now. In the back, a high five. Fingers are extended, not like this, man. Extend them. It's a totally different thing. <laughs> totally different thing. Um, I, I would say our society gives us all kinds of reasons to have squabbles, doesn't it? Our society gives us all kinds of excuses to have polarizing things that we debate about. Uh, Ford or Chevy. <laughs> you know, Mac or PC. How many PC people do we have? Yeah, you're wrong. It's Mac. <laughs> Just saying. Um, uh, Hulu or Netflix, right? I remember being a kid and the greatest debate was about peanut butter and chocolate. How many of you remember this commercial from Millennials Get Ready to Die Laughing at how bad we were at making commercials? Look at the 80s. Mm. Chocolate. Mm. Peanut butter. You got your chocolate and my peanut butter. You got peanut butter on my chocolate. What? Okay, so like, how horrible is that commercial? How horrible? You know what's worse? Some of you own his shirt. I know it. Some of you still own that shirt. I totally know it. That was like the big thing, right? My my chocolate is better. My peanut butter is better than. And then they put it together, and what? It was better. Together. It was, it was better together. I think that's so true in the society today, where society would try to make us polarized and, and, and one camp versus this camp and this camp versus the other camp. Man, I know this. We're better when we're together. And here's the thing. I'm going to be honest with you. While there's all kinds of debates that are raging, unnecessary, ridiculous debates that rage on CNN or Fox News or on Facebook, anywhere you turn, it just seems like there's these, these dug-in deep differences that we have. As much as that breaks my heart, it doesn't come close to what really breaks my heart. I expect differences outside the church. I expect debate outside the church. I expect to see disunity outside the church. But what really is really painful is when there's disunity within the church. It breaks not my heart. It doesn't just break your heart, but it grieves the heart of the Holy Spirit. Because you and I were called 
You and I were more than called. You and I have been challenged and directed to live together in unity. You and I have been called together to be one. And just like outside the world, there's plenty of opportunities for us to to have disunity. I know that there's plenty of opportunities within the walls of the church to walk in disunity as well, isn't there? There's all kinds of little things that can happen that will cause us to grate against one another. Seemingly small things can get blown up into huge things. Like, I can't believe that that person took my seat. Don't they know that that's my seat? Every Sunday I sit in that seat and they came in, they took my seat. I bet you they were planning all week long to take my seat and they went and they did it. They're not even Christian. They're not even saved. They took my seat. They took my parking spot. How many of you guys had somebody take your parking spot and you were so tempted just to ram their car forward into the stall that was ahead of them, right? Right? Don't lie. I know you've done it. I've watched you out there. There's so many areas that that gives us opportunities to to find disunity. You can find that in your marriage. I swear, this happened to me not just too long ago. My wife and I, we were going on a date. It was a beautiful night. It was a beautiful thing. There were no children. And it was just my wife and I. And so how many of you guys have ever been here? You're driving, you're wanting to go to dinner. And so you turn to your wife and you say this, honey, where would you like to eat? Right? How many fights have started with the darn question of where do you want to eat? And so she'll say, no, it doesn't matter. That's a lie from the pit of hell. I love my wife, but I question her salvation at that moment. Because trust me, it mattered. McDonald's wasn't cutting it for her. <laughs> Cookout wasn't good. She had, a, she had an opinion. And, and so there's these seeds of disunity that we weren't even intending that all of a sudden just come up, right? And that can happen within the church too. And so as a people, we've been called to stand against that, to watch for that, and to fight against it. How many of you guys are into like a wide variety of music? Anybody else like me? I love all kinds of different music. I admire people who can play music. The only musical instrument that I can play is a radio. So I really, I really love others that can play music. And, and I'll love everything from, from country to classical music. I, I can listen to it all. Classical music is something that has always really kind of just stunned me. The first time I went to a, a classical performance and watched the orchestra play, it was, it was mesmerizing. And I saw this guy up in front with this stick, and he's doing this stuff. And he was obviously what? A conductor, right? I read this week that the very first person who was ever a conductor, his name was, um, his name was, uh, I had it too. I'm just like Josh all of a sudden. I'm forgetting things. Farrakhides of Patria. He was in 709 BC. There's a story of him leading and conducting people. His name was this. He was known as the giver of rhythm. And I, I wish I had a cool name like that. <laughs> Pastor Jeremy, giver of rhythm. <laughs> I don't. Um, he did. But for the church, let me tell you what, Farrakhides was not the first giver of rhythm. The Holy Spirit was the first giver of rhythm. The Holy Spirit gave us the tune in which we were to play. And when the church follows the conducting of the Holy Spirit, there is no more beautiful sound in all the world. One thing I love about an orchestra is you don't have just violins. Violins are pretty. I love the sound that they make. But that's not all it's comprised of. Pianos. You ever listen to somebody just play a piano and a tune and watch their fingers dance across the keys and the, and the beautiful music that emanates from it and can take your breath away? But it's not just 
pianos and the orchestra. It's the, it's the violin. It's the windworks. It's, it's, it's the piano. It's the brass. And when it all comes together, the music is incredible. You can listen to it for hours, mesmerized, soaked in by it, by the beauty of what's coming out. Oh, so is the church. We're not all shaped the same way. <laughs> we're not... <laughs> We're, we're, we're not all, we don't all look the same. And listen, there's so many things that maybe we don't even believe, but we believe the essentials. We believe that God is our Father. We believe in Christ the Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit that the three are in one. The things that matter we believe in and the rest doesn't matter. And guess what? In our differences, it's beautiful. The Bible is so clear about God's desire for us to walk in unity. Psalm chapter 133, verses 1 through 3. I'm going to read it out of the message. It says, how wonderful, how beautiful when brothers and sisters get along. It's like costly anointing oil flowing down head and beard, flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon, flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's what God is. That's where God commands the blessings. He ordains eternal life. God is serious about unity. God is serious about unity within the church. Diversity is God's design, but unity is God's desire. Diversity is God's design, but unity is God's desire. He doesn't just say that in the New Testament. Jesus himself talks about unity for you and me. Hey, let me ask you a question. If Jesus were to show up here this morning, and he were to walk over to you and lay hands on you and begin to pray over you, asking God for things for you. How cool would that be? I mean, you just like, okay, I don't ever need to go to church again the rest of my life. Jesus just prayed for me, right? How many of you would say this, that what he prayed over you would probably be pretty important? If Jesus is asking the Father something specifically for you, don't you think that the thing that he's asking for you is probably a big deal? He did it. Jesus prayed specifically over you. I'll prove it to you. Turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17 and verse 20. Jesus was, was praying and he was talking about the disciples. He was, he was praying to God, but he goes and moves beyond the disciples. And you hear it here. You say, my prayer is not for them alone, them being the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Look at the person next to you and say, that's me. That's me. He's praying for you in this specific scripture. God saw into the future and he said, Lord, I'm not just praying for these that you see, but God, I am praying for those who are yet to come. I'm praying for those who are going to be sitting at East Lincoln, Grace Covenant Campus in February. I'm praying for them. What am I praying for? That all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Listen to me this morning. 
Unity is a big deal. There's a cause and effect that we see here that Jesus is talking about. It's a big deal to Jesus because he says this, the way that you treat one another is going to be the way that the world perceives who Jesus Christ is. You're, you're, you're Jesus to the world. And in the world, what do we see? We see fighting. We see division. We see polarized camps. We see all of the crud of, of, of division. And, and when the people look at the church, they should be seeing something so different. And when you see something different that's beautiful, what do you want? You want a piece of that, don't you? Now, I remember when I was unsaved. I remember when I was broken. I remember when I was just running out of steam. I had hit my, I'd hit the end of my line, and I thought it was all over. And I saw Christ being reflected through an individual. I saw Christ being reflected through a local church. And I said, God, i got to have some of that. And because I saw the beauty of their unity, not perfection, but unity. I mean, you know that the church is not going to be perfect until Jesus gets us out of here. Right? There's going to be times where we, 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 we fall short. But there's something beautiful about the church. And I just said, God, I need something like that. I need you. And the Bible tells us, Jesus is saying it clearly, that the way we treat one another will be a reflection upon who he is. In your notes, write this down. It says, unity was the priority of Jesus' prayer. Unity was the priority of Jesus' prayer. And unity is a testimony of God's redeeming love. God's redeeming love. Listen, we're going to have differences of opinion. And we saw it earlier already today. There are some sick individuals who do believe that state has a good basketball team. We understand. <laughs> we understand that there are going to be things that make us different and that's okay. There's something that bigger that's bigger that makes us one and that's him. That's the Lord. Some of you over here on this side, you might say, well, it's, it's pre-tribulation. Some over here is, well, it's post-tribulation. Let me tell you something. It's Jesus. <laughs> it's all Jesus. Let's preach Jesus. Let's love Jesus. And all these little squabbles that we have, these other things that really aren't going to matter to salvation, we'll find out about them someday. We're going to be in heaven someday, and, and Jesus is going to look at me, Jeremy. He's going to say, Jeremy, it was Calvinism. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Or maybe he'll go there and say it was Arminian. But guess what? I won't care because I'll be in the presence of God. I'll be standing before Jesus himself. So all those little things that I thought were so important here on earth are going to fade away. And I want as many people to experience that with me. That means I need to be someone who's representing Christ well. How do I do that? By loving you guys and you loving each other ridiculously. Loving each other ridiculously. Forgiving people when they take your seat in church. Forgive them when they take that parking stall. Listen, turn into Ephesians if you would. I want to spend some time here in Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter 4. Man, this stuff is so good. Talks about unity again. So we, we see it in the Old Testament, right? We saw it and then we saw Jesus praying for it in the New Testament. Listen, now we're going to see it in, in Ephesians where the Holy Spirit is going to talk about it. In fact, let me tell you this. It is, well, I'm not going to have you turn there. Just go to Ephesians 4, but I'm going to kind of back up what I was saying. Unity is so important that it even should interrupt the church service. How many of you guys remember what we did this morning? We took a what? An offering. Matthew chapter 5, read this on later on this week. Jesus said, listen, if you're going to the temple and you have your offering, you're about to give it to, to you know, turn it in and have your, worship God through your offering, but you remember you got a problem with someone in the body of Christ, don't give it. Go, 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 go take care of that problem that you have, then come back and give your offering. Man, can you imagine a pastor said that from pulpits? Don't, don't take the offering until... Whew. 
we'd go broke. And there's another thing we do on the first Sunday of every month. You know what that is? Communion. We take communion with one another. Remember the body of Christ. Jesus told us to do that, didn't he? He said, as often as you do this, as Marty and Sherry were sharing with us last week, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. It's a big deal to take communion, isn't it? Because Jesus said to. But Jesus even said himself, don't take communion if you've got a problem with the brother. Go take care of your heart issue with them so that you can walk in unity. It's a big deal. Ephesians chapter 4 is going to show us this. Um, it's a template, I would say, of how you and I are to walk in unity with one another. Ephesians chapter 4. I mean, let me find that in the Bible. Ephesians chapter, here's, a, here's a little gold nugget for you. I won't even charge you extra for this one. <laughs> scholars don't even believe, a lot of scholars don't even believe that this, this letter was written to the church of Ephesus. They really believe that this letter was written to the church of Laodicea. Um, Colossians and, and Ephesians were written together almost. They're almost mere images of one another. And you'll never see anywhere in the book of Ephesians where it says to the church of Ephesus. And even the way, the style in which Paul wrote this tends to show or demonstrate that there wasn't an intimate familiarity with one another. He was very um, informal in his way that he wrote, or very formal in the way he wrote, I'm sorry. But if you read the end of Colossians, it talks about a letter that's going to be circulated from Laodicea, and they're supposed to exchange things. Somebody just yell out real loud, nerd alert, because that's all that was. That was just being a nerd. Okay, let's go on. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Stop there. As a prisoner of the Lord, I'm urging you to live a life worthy, worthy of the calling that you've received. You know what? When I, when I hear that, I'm reminded of my grandmother's words sometimes. Don't you embarrass me. <laughs> you, ever, you ever have a grandma say that or a mom or a dad say that to you? Don't you embarrass me. I remember. How many of you came from a, a Catholic background? Anybody? Okay. So I went to my first Catholic mass as a young kid. I was probably about, gosh, I don't know. If, 13, 14, and I never realized some of the stuff that they did in Catholic Mass. And, and I didn't know that at the end of the sermon, that when the priest walked down the aisle, he would sprinkle water at you, like throw water at you. Listen, where I grew up, if somebody throws something at you, you duck. You duck. So the priest is throwing something at me. I'm ducking. My grandma gets a hold of my ear. Anybody have a good God-fearing, ear-grabbing grandmother? Right? And so she just, don't you embarrass me. And, and, and I almost can hear those words coming through in this. It's like, you're, don't you embarrass me by the way that you're acting. You ever had your kids fight with one another in a grocery store? And they're squabbling with one another? Even if you don't have two kids, you just have one. They'll fight with themselves. They're that good at it. They are that good at it. And, and, and so what, sometimes what comes out of our mouth is, this, stop it. Don't you embarrass me. I can almost see... God speaking to his people going, don't you embarrass me. Live a life worthy of the calling that you have. Live a life worthy of it. Now in your notes, we're going to go ahead and we're going to continue in verses 2 and 3. But in your notes, I really messed you up this morning. Point 1 that you see in point number 1 is actually going to be our last point. Okay, Point 2 is going to be point 1. Point 3 is going to be point 2. Yeah, right? We'll have it on the screen, so don't worry about it. You'll, you'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Look at the person next to you and say, it's going to be okay. Okay. So <laughs> we're going to read verses 2 and 3, and then you're going to see what I'm doing here. Okay. Verses 2 and 3. 
Here, come, here comes the template for being unified. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And make every effort, somebody say every effort, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of, uh, of peace. Listen, it makes every effort, don't, not just once in a while. Not when you're just feeling when you woke up in the morning like, well, I'm just going to be the bigger man. I'm just going to be the bigger woman this morning. I'm going to go be unified with this person who really I don't think even loves Jesus, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyways. <laughs> no, no, it's even when you don't feel like it. Making every effort, is it, it doesn't matter in how you feel. It doesn't even matter if the other person deserves it. It doesn't matter if they deserve it. What matters is your heart before the Lord. Listen, hey, Jesus is our friend. He's our savior. But let me tell you this. I had a conversation about this last night. Jesus is also Lord. What does Lord mean? That means I get my marching orders from him. It's not, it's not, you know, God, we're going to compromise a little bit here. All right. I know what you want, but let me tell you what my, I know my own heart, Lord. I know it. It's really good. No, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things, Jeremy. Right? It's, it, he's Lord, so I follow what he has to say. We good with that? Okay. You in the back. Are you No, just kidding. Okay. So listen, the first thing that we need to do as we follow this template, we need to operate out of humility. Point number two, which is actually number one, write that down. We need to operate out of humility. Humility, that word in the Greek, it means lowliness. In fact, in different versions, it means lowliness of mind. The, the Greek word is taparufuneus. You can say that three times fast. I'll give you a dollar. Taparufuneus. You'll, you'll probably remember that all week long, won't you? I won't remember it by tomorrow, so don't feel bad. But that word, that Greek word that maybe you'll remember is this. There was no Greek word with that name. There was never a Greek word with that taparufuneus. It wasn't until there were Greek Christians that that word became into existence. Because in the Greek culture, the idea of humbling yourself to somebody else, you, you, you couldn't even imagine doing that. Because in the Greek world, you had to go get your own. You had, to be your, you had to be your man. You had to be your woman, your rights. You stood upon them and you always, always planted the flag. You never allowed anybody else to be in dominion over you. And it wasn't until Greek Christians came up with that word, with the idea that Jesus has called us to be humble, to operate in humility, that Jesus has more than done that or told us to. Jesus has demonstrated it himself. Look at how humble of a king we, we serve. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 11 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in what? Humility. Humility. Consider others better than yourself. Verses 5 along goes, tells us about how Jesus did that very thing. How Jesus, he was, he was God, and yet he left heaven. He left the right, his rights behind, and he came in the form of a human being. And he submitted himself, not just submitted himself to us, but he submitted himself to the cross, even death. And his example of humility is something for you and I to follow in our lives. While being equal with God, he humbled himself. Why? Because he loved you passionately. He loved you wildly. He loved you extremely. And guess what? 
the person sitting next to you, the person sitting in your seat at church that is supposed to be sitting there, God loves them passionately, wildly, ridiculously too. And so he wants to pour out his love through you to them. How cool is that? How cool is that? That you get to be a conduit for the power of the love of God flowing through you and touching other people's lives. That's what you were shaped and made to be, a conduit for the power of God. And he wants to touch and love those people within this body of church that he calls the bride of Christ. Listen, you can call me lots of names. You can, you can get mad at me. You can say things behind my back. You can snip and do all that stuff to me. But how many of you know you do it towards my wife? We got a problem. Hello? I wonder, I wonder, I wonder this. I believe it to be true because the church, us, you, we are called the bride of Christ. Who, who's the church? The individual, right? So think of it this. When I'm at somebody, am I offending Jesus' bride? Woo, okay. Don't want to be there. Point number two, right? So we want to walk in humility, walk in humility and we want to choose to be gentle. Number two. Doesn't that what he said? He says, to be completely humble and what? We want to walk in gentleness with one another. Gentleness with one another. That means let the words that you speak be affirming. I'm not saying we can't, you know, have disagreements. That's fine. You can have disagreements you don't, you, and, and still have unity, right? Unity doesn't mean uniformity. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. But it's how we speak to one another. It's the gentleness of our words. It's how we build up rather than tear down. There was a study put out, and it was fascinating to me. They, they studied this group of physicians, surgeons, surgeons, and, and the way that their team would communicate to one another had a direct impact on the patient. So meaning this, that when there was like even the, the, the smallest amount of sarcasm or anger or resentment on the team, it caused the physicians to, to be less accurate, to have less clear thinking. And how many of you want to be under the knife with a doctor who is less accurate and less clear thinking? None of us, right? And so, but if they were edifying one another, if they were encouraging one another, there was a direct implication on the patient. Let me put it to you this way. God is in the business of doing open heart surgery on a world that doesn't know him. I said it earlier, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things, right? How, How does that get changed? It gets changed by God. Psalm 51 says, create in me a clean heart. Oh, who? God, because that's what it takes. It takes God to create a clean heart. And he wants to operate through you. And so when there's disunity within the church, you're threatening the patient. You're threatening the patient. Because when, when people whose hearts are broken and hardened and lost, they're looking at you and they're putting that on Jesus. They're saying, well, if so-and-so is that way with so-and-so, and they're supposed to both be Christians, well, what the heck would I ever want to have with that God thing? And all of a sudden, we see the patient in being threatened with death. Hey, listen to me. Disunity within the church, it's a big deal. It's a big 
deal. So we have differences. So what? So we don't always see things eye to eye. So what? Do we, do we see the cross? Do we see the cross? We're one. We're one. Watch how you talk to one another. Don't you allow the enemy to, to gain a foothold in your life by sowing seeds of bitterness or resentment, holding on to old wounds. We're, we're better than that. We're better than that. Point number three. Value the differences instead of judging differences. Value differences instead of judging differences. How do we do that? You know what that's called? It's called being patient with one another. Have you ever been in a, in a conversation that wasn't a conversation? <laughs> yeah, some of you know where I'm going with this. You'll have a conversation. There's differences, right? And, 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 and you're not really hearing that person. All you're thinking the entire time is, well, this is how I'm going to come back. <laughs> right? Well, they're going to say this, and then I'm going to say that. And then when they say that, I'm going to say this. I'm going to say, ha, gotcha. <laughs> right? How many of you guys have ever had that where you're not even hearing the other individual? You're just gearing up to go. That's not a conversation. One of the greatest things that we can do to sow unity within the body of Christ is this, is to be able to listen, to hear. Hey, maybe, maybe sometimes I'm going to freak you out with this. Here's something possible. Maybe your perspective is the one that's wrong. Maybe their perspective and their experiences are legit. And maybe we can learn something. Maybe we could just, you know, I can teach you a lot about Hawaii. I haven't been there. I've had people, I've had people like, listen, they, were, they wanted to have a conversation with me about Hawaii, right? And, and, and some of their questions are like crazy. Did you have to watch out for lava when you walked to school? I mean, seriously, seriously. So who would have a better perspective? Someone who lived there or someone who didn't? Someone who... Right, and so sometimes, listen, the experiences that somebody else is going through, they've lived it. Listen, give the honor to listen. Maybe even after listening, you still don't agree. Cool, no problem. But you love, you love, you love, you love. Point number four, write that down. Point number four is this, love must lead the way. If we're gonna have unity in the church, love must lead the way every single day time. I want to read something from out of 1 Corinthians 13. It's one that you guys are familiar with. Let this be our anthem when it comes to unity. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Ooh, it's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Are you carrying a record this morning? You got a record? A record of offenses? So-and-so said this to me. So-and-so did that to me. So-and-so. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes. It always perseveres. (laughs) The ending in some verses to say this. Love never fails. Listen, I can have all the giftings in the world. I can have all the talent in the world. You can have all the talent, all the gifts, all the unbelievable gifts in the world. But if you don't have love, you lost. If you don't have love, you lost. 
two weeks ago, and this was cool. Two weeks ago, I had a, a, a young man come up to me. One of my favorite things that I get to do as, as pastors, I'll get to go out in the lobby and not just hang out with you guys, but I'll have some of the little kids will come up and, and, and want to talk to me. And one little kid, I, can't, I don't think he's more in second grade, came up with this, here, this note. Pastor Jeremy. And he had big old eyes, too, like he was nervous, like, here. <laughs> and I said, oh, thank you. He goes, don't read it now. I was like... <laughs> Do I need to call your parents? And so I, uh, I got home and I read this. Listen, listen to it. This is two weeks ago. Dear Grace Covenant. He almost spelled covenant right. I was impressed. I want everybody to know that I know we are all family. God made us for a reason. We are all created from God, from Nathan. Mm. Don't you ever tell me that the prophetic can't be spoken through a child. Don't you ever tell me that a child can't speak deep wisdom into you and I. In fact, I believe the Lord would call us back to having that childlike trust of one another. Remember when it didn't matter what they looked like, it just mattered if they liked to play kickball? Hmm? matter it didn't matter what their thoughts were or what how much money there was in the bank or whatever stupid thing we want to argue about all that mattered was do they like to color imagine if we were children again imagine if we had that heart that said lord let's just live our lives out of the wisdom of children let's pray lord i thank you for the incredible, unbelievable, astonishing gift that is the bride of Christ. Lord, we are blown away by the privilege of living life with one another. Oh, what a gift. And Lord, forgive us, forgive us, forgive us for those times that we have grieved you by speaking ill, by harboring resentment, by sowing disunity within the body of Christ. Let it never be. God, I pray where there might be resentment, disappointment, hardened hearts toward any other believer that some of us may be carrying this morning, God, deal with us and deal with us now. We want to make every effort, every effort to live a life worthy of the calling that we have. And so that begins by dealing with our hearts now. So Lord, deal with us. And we thank you for your grace. And we thank you that you are quick to forgive. We thank you that you are quick to see, Lord God. And yet, and yet you love us. Wow. So, Father, I pray for unity in this body. Lord, I pray that we would leave here seeking to serve you with a passion and a recklessness in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.